Pittsburgh Steeler fans, welcome back to another episode of Steeler Stat Geek. This is Steel Curtain Network editor Dave Schofield coming at you Thursday morning. It's back to a normal week when it comes to Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know about you, it doesn't feel normal for me because this is the final Thursday of 2023. My kids are off school. Things are just different. I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even really remember that it was Thursday for Stat Geek. Um, not that it totally slipped my mind. I knew it, but it wasn't in my regular routine to figure everything out because of everything going on with the holidays. I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas or whatever you celebrate that you just had a great time. And I got to say it now as we head up to it, I hope you have a very healthy and prosperous 2024 as that's when we will be coming at you next time on Stat Geek. But before then, there's a whole lot of other stuff that has to happen before we get to New Year's Day. For example, you've got this coming right now. you got Steelers Stat Geek. you got tonight, myself, Jeff Hartman, Brian Anthony Davis coming at you with the Steelers preview, which is always a boatload of fun. And more importantly, you're going to have a post-game show because the Steelers play on Sunday. That's right. New Year's Eve, 4 o'clock against the Seattle Seahawks. I'm really looking forward to that one just because – it's a Steelers football game, and it's the last one of 2023, and it could be the next to last one of the season. It all depends on how things are playing out. You know, last week I was saying, hey, we only got three more of these. That's all we got. Now it's like, wait, hold the phone. Hold the phone. It's not quite over yet because, see, it's not just that the Steelers won. It's how they won. They won in a way of playing successful, quality football that makes you believe that they could beat a plethora of NFL teams if they just play that way. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to break down some numbers. I'm going to break down one other thing specifically within those numbers that I was just curious about. Sometimes you look up numbers. Sometimes you look up stats just to see what's going on, only to find out either that it's not what you think or that it doesn't really tell you much of anything because that's what happens sometimes. But before we do, and I don't want to get lost in the shuffle of everything, I want to once again bring you the Zebra Technologies Next Gen Stats of the Week. It's multiple ones this time. That's what happens when the Steelers play well. So let's break this down and get a couple different stats coming to you uh, with with how how things are working. The first one, my goodness, I have to go through so many of these. The first one's Mason Rudolph, but it's also George Pickens. Again, Mason Rudolph's 44-yard completion to George Pickens just before halftime traveled 55.7 yards in the air, the longest completion by air distance by the Steelers since 2017. Pickens had 0.7 yards of separation from the sideline at the time of the catch. Completion probability was 25%. That sounds about right with what was going on with the Steelers. Here's another one. Najee Harris continued to stake his claim to the Steelers' starting RB job as he gained a plus 19 rushing yards over expected, which is sixth highest of the week, picking up 78 yards on 19 carries in a big win against the Bengals. 57.9% of his carries went over expected, the second highest share of the week, only trailing Zamir White, which was 59.1. 
So there's that one. I, I wish they had a cool next-gen stat for Jalen Warren's block um, on the Calvin Austin touchdown, but we're not so lucky. Here we go. Wide receiver George Pickens hit a top speed of 21.54 miles per hour on his 86-yard touchdown, fastest in Week 16 and the 11th fastest this season, which came on the Steelers' second play from scrimmage. It was the fastest top speed reached by a Steelers ball carrier since 2017. Pickett's gained 77 yards after the catch on the play, which was plus 71 yards after the catch above expected, most on any play in over two seasons. Later in the game, on a 66-yard touchdown, he had a top speed of 21.5 miles per hour, second fastest in Week 16, and tied 15th fastest on the season. He finished the day with four receptions on six targets for 195 yards and two touchdowns while generating career highs in receiving uh, yards above expected, which was plus 139, and, and yards after the catch above expected, which was plus 90. Pickens 139 receiving yards above expected are the third most in a game by any receiver since 2018. Whew. All right, if you like all those those fancy stats, there you go, because that was a good one. And guess what? I'm not done. That's not the only place where the Steelers were mentioned in the next-gen stats report. How about this one for the defense? Joy Porter Jr. shadowed T. Higgins on 32 of 40 routes, limiting Higgins to one reception on two targets for 15 yards as the nearest defender. Since week seven, Porter has shattered opponents' top receivers on a majority of their routes in seven of 11 games. On Higgins' 80-yard touchdown, Porter lined up over Higgins before the snap. However, Higgins caught the ball on a slant route, sorry, excuse me, slant route outside of Porter's zone. So there you go. There's the next-gen stats of the week. Ooh, those were fun. They are a lot more fun when the Steelers win, aren't they? It's just how it goes. All right. Now, something we're going to talk about, and I'll be honest with you, we're not going to get to the topic of the show until the second half. And what we're going to be talking about then is, is we're going to look at, at the Steelers, what they have remaining, the rest of the teams they're fighting for when it comes to the playoffs, and how easy the path is to get there. I, I did this a couple weeks ago. Then last week, I was like, yeah, the, we're, I'm just stopping. But now the Steelers are back into the mix. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is really how it goes. The Steelers, if they make the playoffs, it's because they deserve it. If they make the playoffs, it's because they deserve it. And I'm going to break that down in the second half. But before I do, let's not skip over this past game just because it was on a Saturday because, boy, oh, boy, was it exquisite. All right, it's Pittsburgh Steelers. The number I always start off with in my By the Numbers article is the turnover margin. Jeff Hartman talked about that on Let's Ride and about how important that is. Absolutely. The Steelers were plus three. They were plus three, but 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 part of that is because they're taking the ball away. And Jeff talked about the importance of the Steelers taking the ball away. And when they're you know, they've only lost one game where they were on the plus side of the turnover margin this season, and that was Jacksonville. But looking at it even more, the Steelers have forced a takeaway in all but three games this season. Three games the Steelers did not take the ball away. Those games were Houston, which was a loss, Arizona, which was a loss, and Indianapolis, which was a loss. Yeah. 
So it's not just even the plus minus. The plus minus is important. Absolutely. It really is. But the Steelers taking the ball away really comes into play. Because if they don't, the chances of them, of them winning go down significantly. Then if you also look at it, the, the Steelers turning the ball over. You, you look at the Steelers' three-game losing streak, that's because they had a four-game streak of turning the ball over. They turned it over against this first matchup against Cincinnati. They turned it over against Arizona. They turned it over against the Patriots. And then they turned it over three times against the Colts. There you go. So it's not even just about the margin. Okay, you look at the Steelers, you know, they they lost to Cleveland. Okay, because that was another one. You know, um, I said the Jaguars was the only one where, where they had a plus. Cleveland, they also had a plus. Uh, they lost. They lost that game, thirteen to ten. They had a takeaway. They didn't turn the ball over. But if not, you look at games where the Steelers didn't turn the ball over. The Raiders win. The Rams win. The Titans win. The Packers win. The Browns okay loss. The Bengals win. So it's about getting the takeaways, not turning it over. It doesn't have to be huge numbers. It doesn't have to be huge numbers. I mean, my goodness, week two the Steelers beat the Browns. It was four to two, but two four two of those four takeaways were defensive touchdowns. But Jeff Jeff broke that down a lot on Let's Ride. Did a real nice job. It's very important. It's very important. And there's also other quote unquote turnover worthy plays, almost plays that are big that don't count as turnovers, but in essence swing the game very similar. Blocked punts when the Steelers have those. The Steelers had two fourth down stops in the last game, which in essence almost acts like two more turnovers. It's good stuff. Steelers put up 34 points. It was the most points that they had scored in a win since they beat the Bengals in week 10 of 2020. So you're talking more than three years. And they scored, they won that one 31 to 10. And then they won this one 34. 11. So very similar scores. The Steelers had a couple games in there where they scored 30 points, but lost. You know, it, there's there's a difference between scoring that many points and a win, obviously. Mason Rudolph comes in, puts up some nice numbers. He had 124.0 passer rating. That's it's the it's the highest passer rating that the Steelers have seen. Um, ben Roethlisberger had a 125.4 in week five of 2020 when they beat the Eagles. He had, Mason Rudolph had, uh, had 290 yards on only 17 completions, 17 to 27. Okay, two passing touchdowns. Both of them were, were long touchdowns. You had the 86 and the 66. That, that, that was pretty big. The Steelers this year have, well, I, I'm trying to find this, they have five touchdowns of 65 yards or more, they're not all passing touchdowns, but they have five touchdowns of 65 yards or more. Two of them were in this game. This was the longest touchdown the Steelers have had since um, the Ben to Juju. The second time that happened, that was against the Broncos in 2018, uh, the 97-yarder. So just some really good numbers, 50% um, on third-down conversions. Uh, throughout the game. And and in the first half, when it really mattered, they were four of six, 67%. The Steelers were two of three in the red zone. 
That's important. The Steelers scored 17 points off of turnovers. That was pretty good. Um, Then I'm going to come back to one of the key numbers I I really like because it's going to lead into something else. Uh, George Pickens with his huge stat line, which we already talked about in the other things. I I did talk about the negative that Pat Frermuth wasn't even targeted in this game, but you want to know what? If they wanted to put two people kind of taking care of Pat Frermuth and they're going to leave George Pickens uh, a little bit more open, Frermuth was more than happy for them to do that. Um, and and that's just a really good team mentality. Now, the one last number that I want to throw in to talk about a little something, because this is where I started to dive into something that didn't give me the answers that I thought. And that was the Pittsburgh Steelers did something that I'm not used to them doing. And that is they won the end of the first half. And they played it so well. They didn't screw up the clock. And, and they, they took the W in the final two minutes of the first half. Winning that time of the game is important. And we're going to talk about that. Winning that time of the game is very important. Because losing it is bad. Losing is bad. So I'm so used to the Steelers not playing that right. I can't remember what year it was. I talked about it a little bit on Scobro Show. I remember sitting at Jeff Hartman's house, and it was watching the Steelers play the Bengals, and they were calling timeouts with tons of time left in the first half, like a minute and a half, and they're calling timeout to save time. And I'm thinking, what in the world are you doing? You don't need a minute and a half. You need 40 seconds. You have three timeouts. Why it's calling them now? And what did the Steelers do? They scored, but they scored early, and they gave so much time that the Bengals came back and scored again. And it was just dumb, dumb, dumb. I've seen them do that too many times, but not this time. Now, some of it, I mean, it, you're talking really close. I've said so many times, there is a fine line between brilliance and and stupidity when it comes to NFL football. My my prime example came from the preseason when it was, oh, the Steelers' number one offense, oh, they've scored on other drives going into the third game. Can they do it again? Which they did. But when they did, they were backed up. I was thinking it was a was it a dumb play by either McFarland or or Gunnero or so, someone got the Steelers at like their own 10 yard line in the third preseason. It was preseason. But I'm like, man, we'll see what happens. And it was third down. It was, I can't remember. It was, it was, it wasn't third and 10, but it wasn't third and two. It, it was third and medium. And the Steelers took the deep shot to Deontay Johnson and connected and went on down and scored a touchdown. And I, I said so many times if the Steelers don't connect on that long pass. What's the narrative? Oh, why are they going for it? Why are they throwing it so long rather than just trying to get the first down? We heard all about that against the Colts, didn't we? Absolutely we did. But, you know, why are you throwing it so long there? But when it works, you don't complain. And when did it work? I'm specifically talking about the Steelers in the last two minutes of this game. And, in fact, it was two minutes and 14 seconds when the Steelers got the ball. And I was just like, don't. 
I wasn't even thinking about the Steelers scoring. I was more worried about the Steelers not giving the ball back to Cincinnati to score at the end of the first half. That was my concern the whole time. I'm like, oh, do you want to run the ball here to take off as much time so Cincinnati can't do this or do that and all these other things? Because Cincinnati was trying to, to save time. Um, they were using timeouts to try to to try to save time. But the Steelers moved 64 yards and got a 50-yard field goal to end the first half, which is not something they've done very much this year, which we'll talk about here shortly. But part of that was the 44-yard amazing catch by George Pickens on the sideline. Now, once again, Mason Rudolph threw the ball where only George Pickens could catch it. And Maybe he even shouldn't have, but he got his feet down somehow. If that ball isn't caught, then what's the narrative? Oh, why did they throw it so deep on third down? And and you know why? Because they had the matchup they wanted. So so what? Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I would have been. I mean, if the if the Bengals score a field goal or even worse, a touchdown because they got the ball back. If that doesn't, if that's not completed then I'm talking about a whole different story here. So it's a very thin, fine line between nailing it perfectly and completely screwing it up. But because George Pickens made that great catch, they nailed this perfectly. And the Steelers got a field goal at the very end of the first half. And that's that's key. And we're, and we're going to talk about that. Because the thing that I've really liked about this game with the Steelers, I love that they deferred. I love that they deferred. The reason I'm so happy that they deferred is sometimes I wish it was more offensive for the Steelers. But as much as it as it would be that, it's it's really defensive to make sure that they don't have this happen to them. But it's the double whammy. It's the score. Um, KT Smith talked about it a while ago on his call sheet podcast on the on the FFSN NFL feed where I, I listen to that every week, getting stuff from, from KT, just dropping knowledge about the NFL in general. And, I mean, I, my goodness, I even love he, his episode number. He highlights a, a player that wore that number, and that's just good, fun history. But he talked about the middle eight earlier this season. I, I remember – I mean, it had to be a while ago because I remember listening to it while I was actually out mowing grass. Well, uh, it, it was mowing grass, really. It was – you know, chopping and sucking up leaves as much as anything. But it, it was a couple months ago. And he talked about the middle eight and winning the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. And that's assuming it's a long drive. It could be the, it could be the middle four. But it's really important. And you talk about deferring because if you can be the last team to possess the ball significantly, not kneel downs or anything like that, or running one plate around the clock, if you if you have a significant possession to end the half, and then you start the the second half with the ball, that's huge. And if you can have scoring possessions on both of those, even if it's just two two field goals, that's almost giving you a touchdown. If the field goal won a touchdown, my goodness, ten points, a ten point swing without the other team really touching the ball, huge. And of course, the 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 double, the touch, the double touchdowns. 14-point swing, my goodness, teams, a team could be getting blown out 17-3. to three. And in the final two minutes of the first half and, a, and to open up the second half, they could tie the game without the other team getting another shot. That, I love the strategy. That's why unless you really have a reason not to do it, 
I prefer the Pittsburgh Steelers defer and get the ball to start the second half. That's what I prefer. I think it puts you in a better situation, and you would rather have have the opportunity to do such a thing than to give that opportunity to your opponent. I would, you know, it's as much to not let your opponent do that as it is for them to do it themselves. So I got to thinking, how often does the team that receives the second half kickoff, whether it's because they deferred and chose to have it, or or the other team elected to receive and they got it. Didn't matter. Didn't look at the coin flip or anything. I just looked at the first possession of the second half. Now, part of the reason this comes up, I find it real interesting, is that the Green Bay Packers have have suspended, what's it, Jair Alexander. Alexander is his last name, the cornerback. One game, conduct detrimental to the team. What's crazy is he went out as a team captain when he wasn't supposed to. He claimed that, you know, the Packers messed up because he didn't realize he was from Charlotte. They were playing the Panthers. He went out there. He went out there. He made the call. He just went in, stepped up, made the call. He almost made the royal boo-boo that I've actually benefited from a few times as a coach. I mean, coaching freshman football, you've got to have your players prepared. to. I mean, that's a big deal. you got to pick your smart players to go out there and make the call, not heads or tails, but what you want to do. Alexander almost screwed it up and said, we want to be on defense. If he says anything other than that, if he says we want to receive, we, we want to kick off, then they're not going to second guess him and see whether he's actually doing it right. If you're going to kick off, you don't ask to kick off. You have to say defer. Because if you say kick off, you're making your choice. And you're choosing to kick off. And to come out in the second half, guess who gets the choice? The other team. There are people that are a bunch of times, and again, they're like, wait a second, what happened? Twice in one season, uh, my team got the opening kickoff and the opening kickoff in the second half. We got the opening kickoff. And I, and I watched the official say this team won, and they, were, and they, have, they elected to kick. And I said, to, I pulled my captain right there. I said, they chose to kick. We get the choice to start the second half, and we're going to receive. And I reminded them before they went out. I'm like, we'll get the ball twice. They're the ones who screwed it up. They're the ones who screwed up. I can't believe that almost happened in an NFL game. No wonder they they suspended it. But anyway, because of that, there's the importance of what you want to do. You definitely can't give the other team the ball both halves. My goodness. I mean, the, the fact that overtime comes down to a coin flip, who gets the ball first? Even the rules that they try to do to, to minimize the coin flip as much as they can, I don't like it. I've brought up the past. I would prefer if it's overtime, keep playing wherever you are. If you if you took a knee to end regulation on first and 10, you come into overtime, you get the ball in the same spot, second and 10. That's why you would run a play and even though, you know, try to gain yards because you're going to come back in and pick it up in the same spot. I like that idea. A lot of people don't like that idea. That's that's for a whole different discussion in the offseason. But I went in and looked at teams that received the second-half kickoff. Now, there should have been 240 games because it's, you know, 32 teams, two teams playing each game. Every team's played 15 games, should have been 240 games. There's only 238 games the way I did the filter with the, the team that had a drive that started with 15 minutes left in the third quarter. And that's because twice this year, a team has fumbled the kickoff and lost the fumble to start the second half. One of them very recent, 
like this weekend recent. That's right. The Philadelphia Eagles fumbled the the opening kickoff to the second half, and the Giants recovered. Now the Eagles went on to win that game, so they were they counted as a team that received the second half kickoff and won the game. But there was another game earlier this year where a team who lost the game got the second half kickoff, fumbled it, lost the ball, and lost the game. That would have the Washington Commanders. And what do you know? Both times the team that kicked off and got the fumble was the New York Giants, both times, just ironically. So there was one that went into each category. So I was looking at teams that received the second half kickoff, how many of them won the game versus how many of them lost the game. And I thought there would be a significant difference that teams that received the ball win, win the game more often. No, I only did it for this season. If I went back over multiple years, I, I don't know what I'd find. But it was a lot to actually get this data. Uh, And here's what it is. A team that received a second-half kickoff and went on to win the game, that's happened 116 times. The team that received a second-half kickoff and went on to lose the game, it's happened 124 times. So technically there is no advantage of receiving the second-half kickoff. There isn't. 48% of the teams that that got the second-half kickoff Lost. Sorry, 48% of them won. Sorry, 52% of the of teams that received the second half kickoff lost. I was surprised by that. Now, I will tell you that teams that score on their first drive when they receive that kickoff are uh, more likely to go on to win the game. For example, teams that, have, that won and got the second half kickoff, 47% of the time they scored, they scored on that drive. That probably helped lead to why they won. But teams that teams that lost only thirty four percent of the time did they score on that first drive. Score any kind of points, field goal, touchdown, didn't matter. I was just looking at that. So maybe that that gives you a little bit of data. Now I was really trying to find a correlation. I couldn't take what I did next and combine it with what I had already done. It's just I couldn't get get it cross referenced. But then I decided, you know, maybe what's more important isn't getting the ball to start the second half. Maybe it's maybe it's getting getting a score late in the first half. That sets the tone through halftime and into the second half. So what I did is I looked at this this season, 2023, and I looked for how many times a team has scored in the final 30 seconds of the first half. Final 30 seconds. So, I mean, I don't care. I don't care if they had the ball for eight minutes and scored the final 30 seconds. Could it, is it possible that there could be games in here where there was a score by each team in the final 30 seconds? Yes, that's possible. I just looked if a team scored in the last 30 seconds or not. But here's what's interesting. In the final 30 seconds of the first half, this season, there have been 43 touchdowns and 82 successful field goals. Okay, 43 touchdowns, 82 successful field goals. That's 125 scores in the final 30 seconds of the first half. Teams that have gone on to win those games accounted for 33 touchdowns and 57 field goals. And teams that went on to still lose the game, even though they scored in the final 30 seconds of the first half, accounted for 10 touchdowns and 25 field goals. So if you really look at it, if you score a touchdown in the final 30 seconds of the first half, you have a 76.7% chance of winning the game. I mean, that's 
to say it in that way is kind of a bit of a stretch. So they're being predictive. But let's just say this. 76.7% of touchdowns scored in the final 30 seconds of the first half was by a team that went on to win the game. That's the the, the better way to say the numbers. Okay. And now you're like, well, that, that's, that's pretty impressive. So, you know, three out of four. You know, if you can score a touchdown at the end of the first half, the last 30 seconds, three out of four times teams going to win. If it's a field goal, 69.5% of the time, basically 70%, seven, seven out of 10. So scoring at the end of the half is important. Now, if you look specifically at the Steelers, they're, they're a little bit of a different story. They've only scored at the end of the first half twice all season. One touchdown, one field goal. The field goal was this past week in their 34-11 to 11 win. Their touchdown was their only score of the game in week one. So they're one of those 10 touchdowns of a team that did that late in the first half but did not go on to win the game. They were getting they were getting blown out by that time. So I have really gone over in the first half. I've I was going to go into you know how many you know which teams get the higher percentage of 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 getting the second half kickoff and everything. That's it. I'll, I'll be honest. It's the Broncos. The Broncos. Thirteen out of fifteen games they've been the team to get it in the second half. Problem is they haven't done anything with it. They've only scored one time out of those drives. Seven point seven percent. Where you get the other teams like the Bills, they've scored on they've scored on six out of seven drives when they get the ball to start the second half. Chiefs six out of eight, Buccaneers three out of five. You know, same with the Cowboys three out of five. Um, 49ers, Patriots, and Bengals are all four out of seven scoring on that on that first drive. So you can kind of see that some of the more successful teams make the most out of that. So sorry that we've run over so much. We're going to go quick in the second half. Um, although it is the, the title of the show, we're going to break down why if the Steelers make the playoffs, it's because they deserve it. So stick around. We'll be right when my phone rings, you found someone new. surprise how life All right, Steelers fans, here we go. Let's get rolling with this. Here is what's going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers when it comes to the postseason. Once again, they're on the outside looking in. They have to do what they can do and need some help. They put themselves in this situation again. It's unfortunate, but that's what happens when you lose to back-to-back two-win teams that late in the season. And then the loss to the Colts. I, I, I get it. I understand. They are where they are by their own fault. but. The best chance the Steelers have to make the playoffs is to win out. And if they do that, they deserve it more than than any of these other teams. And here's why. I broke down the teams that were in, you know, in the mix to be in the wild card. So when it came to the to the South, I did all three teams, even though the Jacksonville Jaguars are leading, because they're all three tied in by record. So I've got the Buffalo Bills at nine and six. Jacksonville, Indy, Houston, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, all at eight and seven. And then Las Vegas and Denver, who are at seven and eight. All of these teams 
and I looked at their last two matchups. Okay. Just to get an idea of what's going on, the Pittsburgh Steelers right now, in order to make the postseason, they need two of the four teams ahead of them to lose a game. Two of the four. And now here's and the four teams a meaning of the ones I just read. That includes the Buffalo Bills. Because even though Buffalo has one more win than the Steelers, if they lose and the Steelers win out, the Steelers are the tiebreaker of the Bills. Okay. Um, then the Steelers need, you know, let's say it, it could be the Bills or Jacksonville or Indy or Houston. Now they're guaranteed to get one loss. Because the final week of the season, Indy plays Houston. So there's a loss right there. <laughs> Excuse me. Now, if it's a tie, that's even better for the Steelers because that means neither of them win. It's not about one of them losing. It's about one of them not winning. That would be even better. So, But I'm not banking on a tie. Steelers need two teams to lose between Buffalo, Jacksonville, and Houston. So if Buffalo or Jacksonville lose one of their two remaining games, then it doesn't matter with that last one. It's just how it works. All right. So here we go. Let's look at it. Who do these teams play? Buffalo, this week they they host New England, and then they go to Miami. So if they're going to lose one, chances are the the bigger opportunity is going to be with Miami. You just don't know what Miami's playing for. If Miami does not beat Baltimore, no, Miami's going to be playing for something last week of the season. They beat Baltimore. They still have to win the last week of the season to hold on to the number one seed. If they lose to Baltimore, they're probably going to have to beat Buffalo to win the AFC East. So that's the path of the Miami Dolphins. Because that is the case, that means Buffalo, Miami, that's going to come down to to be something the last week of the season. Jacksonville, they play Carolina and at Tennessee, 2-13 and 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 5-10. The Colts play the Raiders, who are 7-8, and and Houston, who is 8-7. So two teams that are in the mix, okay? Houston plays Tennessee, that's 5-10, and and Indy, who's 8-7. The Steelers play the 8-7 and seven Seahawks and the 12-3 and three Baltimore Ravens. Now, you could talk about Baltimore not having anything to play for. If they lose to Miami, then you're like, oh, well, they got the two-seed not locked up. Not if, not if the Browns win tonight against the Jets. Browns still have a chance to win the AFC North if Baltimore stumbles. So... Honestly, if you want this, you're gonna. If you're a Steelers fan, you're gonna have to pull for the Ravens to beat the Dolphins. If you don't want them to have much to play for in the final week of the season, so that one's you know, team with a really good record, but you don't know what they're gonna have to play for. Cincinnati's got to go to Kansas City nine and six, and then they host Cleveland, who's ten and five. The Raiders, they were seven and eight. They play the eight and seven Colts, and then the seven, eight Denver Broncos. And then Denver, they play the five and 10 Chargers and the seven and eight Raiders. So if you look at all these, Buffalo, you know, combined record of the two teams that they got left, Buffalo, 15 and 15. Jacksonville, they got it the easiest, seven and 23. Seven and 23 with Carolina and Tennessee. If they can't win both of those games, I don't know, they, they don't deserve to win the South, in my opinion. Okay, Indy's playing teams that are 15 and 15. Houston's playing 13 and 17. The Steelers, 20 and 10. Cincinnati, 19 and 11. Then you got the Raiders that are 15 and 15 of their opponents, and Denver that is 12 and 18. So if you look at it, the only ones that are over 500 
of their of the rec, combined record of their two remaining opponents, it's the Steelers and the Bengals. Now, the Steelers own the tablet breaker of the Bengals, so the only way the Bengals can move past the Steelers is for the Steelers to lose. If the Steelers lose, they're probably done. It's not mathematically eliminated, most likely, but because there's other scenarios, but it's very, it would be extremely improbable. So the thing to look at with that is Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, they are the only two teams that have the, that played both their last two games against teams that currently have winning records. It is what it is. Not only that, the Steelers, they're on the road for both games. So if the Pittsburgh Steelers go on the road, defeat the Seattle Seahawks who are who are vying for the uh, wild card spot in the NFC, and then they go into Baltimore. And honestly, I, I'm not about Baltimore racing their players. I've, I've covered this before, especially if you have a bye. If you rest your players and then have a bye, it's generally not good. You know, think of 2005 Colts where the Steelers beat them on the way to win the Super Bowl. Just think that through. So I still think the way Baltimore plays it is they might not play their players the whole game. But even someone like Lamar, Lamar Jackson, I'd play him a series or two. Um, I know, then if he gets hurt, then you feel like you're the biggest fool. But at the same time, if he's rusty for the playoffs, that's no good either. So the Steelers are going to have – they have the toughest road to win out of all these teams that are in it for, for the playoffs in the AFC. They have the toughest path. So if they manage to win both those games and get the help that they need, they deserve to be there. Yes, you could say, but they lost those other ones. Absolutely. That's what that's what makes them have to have help. But if they're playing well enough at the end of the season, then they deserve to be there. Now, can they go into Seattle and win? Yes, they can. The only question is, will they? How do they match up? So let's finish this up with how I do the matchups. All right. So let's go offense first. Seattle, they are 15th um, best passing team in the NFL, 229.3 yards per game. While the Steelers, they're 27th, 184.2. When it comes to running the ball, the Steelers are 16th with 110.2 yards a game. Seahawks, they're 29th with 90.3 yards per game. Not Don't run the ball very well. That leaves the overall yardage, the overall total offense. Seattle's ranked 22nd at 319.6, and the Steelers ranked 26th at 294.4. Not that far off. Not that far off. When it comes to scoring points, though, Seattle is significantly better. They're 19th, uh, 21.3 points a game, while the Steelers are 17.1 points per game, which is 28th. When it comes to not giving up the splash plays, uh, Seattle has been sacked 37 times. That's tied for 14th, while the Steelers have been sacked 32 times, which is ninth. And when it comes to turning the ball over, the Steelers are tied for second. Only turned it over 14 times this, this season in 15 games. Seattle, they're tied for seven. They only turned it over 16 times. Not, not a big difference there. So then we go to the defense. You've got Seattle. They're the 19th best Pass defense, 229.0 yards per game, where the Steelers are, are very close at 21st, 230.7 yards. You're only talking about 1.7 yards per game difference. When it comes to running, stopping the run, the Steelers are 20th, 117.5 yards per game. The Seahawks, they're 27th. They're giving up 129.6 yards per game on the ground. When it comes to overall yards, the Steelers have the advantage, 348.2, that's 21st. 
to the Seahawks, 358.6. That's 26th. Then when it comes to point surrendered, Steelers have a big advantage here. 19.4, that's seventh in the NFL, where the, where the Seahawks give up 23.5 points per game. That's 23rd. That's 23rd. So if you cross each other, the matchups are very close, especially when you look at Seattle's offense versus the Steelers' defense, and then the, the Steelers' offense versus Seattle's defense. But as we all saw, Seattle, or sorry, the Steelers' offense looked a little bit different this past week. When you look at the splash plays on defense, uh, the Steelers have 42 sacks, which is tied for 12th. Seattle has 45. That's tied for sixth. So they sack the quarterback more. But the Steelers have more takeaways. They're, they have 24. That's tied for sixth. While Seattle only has 19, which is tied for 21st. So it's a very interesting matchup with these two teams. The, it's not that Seattle is, is blowing the doors off anybody. And they've lost a couple games at home this year, which sometimes it, it can be a tough place to play. It's going to be interesting to see how many Steeler fans are in Seattle because, you know, New Year's Eve, AFC opponents, it might be one of those that the teams, that the fans in Seattle are like, you know what, I could probably make a good bid on this one. Maybe I should just sell this one. We'll have to see how many terrible towels are in the stadium there and if it's the true home field advantage that the, you would normally get in Seattle. But that's why we got to tune in and watch the games. I'm really excited for this one. Make sure you check it out on our podcast with our lineup coming up. I know that uh, Steel City Insider was but was bumped back because of the holiday. I'm not sure what time. It's coming out sometime today. I just don't know when. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And, of course, make sure you check out the Steelers preview tonight. And uh, let's go to Seattle, get a win. We can keep talking about playoffs. Sounds great to me. Um, because, you know, Steelers are going to have to beat quality teams in order to get there. So show you're a team that belongs by getting the wins. That's all I can say. And as I always say to close these out, thanks for geeking out. <laughs>